Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey everyone, just a heads up. This is another episode about war. There are parts of it that are really intense. Violence, death, trauma. Just be aware of that when you listen. Welcome back to Resurrection. Have you ever destroyed something in an effort to save it? Maybe a plant? You saw it wilting, so you gave it water, not realizing that it was already drowning? Or maybe a relationship? A partner who needed more space, but all you could do was suffocate them with more love? I've been guilty of that one. Well... I think that's one of the best ways to describe what the United States did in Vietnam. Destroyed something in an effort to save it. Destroyed a country, a people, destroyed lives and families, destroyed its own young servicemen. Destroyed in an effort to save. Throughout this podcast, we've been uncovering the life story of one man who was deeply impacted by the Vietnam War. A playwright, Daryl Allen. He wrote plays about his time serving in Vietnam, but he passed away in 1991 before any of his plays were produced professionally. In this episode, we're going to change that. Daryl spent years of his life working on a play called Mustang Zero One. He wrote the final version of this play in 1991, the same year he died. This was one of the last plays he worked on. But I found Mustang mentioned years before this in a letter Daryl wrote to his then-wife, Janet Allen, in 1977. I plan to stay in Kansas for at least three weeks. It will take that long, I'm sure, to get the draft of the new play. It's all of what happened in Thailand. So strange, I thought all that was dead. But it's not. But, of course, Daryl doesn't get his draft done in three weeks. I can actually track the progress of Mustang over the years through Daryl's letters. May 5th. 1980. I sure would like to get a draft of Mustang out that I can pedal around. 
It takes Daryl way more than three weeks to get Mustang finished. April 6th, 1981. I have started a new play, and of course, I still am working on Mustang. It takes more than five years for Daryl to finish his draft. March 5th, 1982. Mustang is drafted. I am reading it publicly here in Albuquerque Sunday afternoon. Five years. It took five years to finish the first draft of Mustang. And Daryl wouldn't finish the final draft until nine more years had passed. In the last episode, we went through the first scene of Mustang Zero One. The play is set in the operations room of the radar site at Udorn Air Force Base in Thailand. It's exactly where Daryl was stationed during the Vietnam War in 1967. And we met a character from the play who's based off Daryl himself, Captain Robert McCarthy. God, Sarge. I hate it when they're in there. And we learned how much Robert cared for and protected the servicemen under his care. Yellow 2-1, you will immediately follow all orders given by my director at all times, or I'll get you on the ground. God, Robert, thanks. Let me know if there's any more trouble. But Robert's position as senior director of the Brigham Bravo crew at the radar site at Udorn Air Force Base, it was brutally stressful. Mustang 01, hit by anti-aircraft fire. How bad? Robert was the person responsible for deciding which aircraft were allowed to land and in what order. Russ, Snake Wolf 03 back. You'll bring him in last instead. God damn it, Wolf, we'll fall out of the fucking sky! And sometimes this meant that he had to turn away damaged aircraft, condemning them to crash. Captain, lost contact with Wolf 03. In this episode, we're going to dive deeper into Daryl's play. We won't be going through the entire play. It was written for theater. This is a podcast. Doesn't always translate. But we're going to focus in on one of the stories from the play that works. And just so happens to be my favorite kind of story. You asked when I was going to write my gay play? This is it. The gay story. We're going to meet the pilot behind the aircraft called Mustang Zero One. Today's episode is going to be excerpts from Daryl's play, adapted for radio by me, with editorial support from Janet Allen and Dan Wiley. And we're going to start with a scene that takes place a few hours after the first scene. After Wolf Zero Three goes down, Robert and the Brigham Bravo crew end up working late, running a rest cap. A rescap is a rescue operation to retrieve the pilot who went down during their shift. After the rescap, Robert goes to the officers' club, a kind of bar. Maybe there's some music playing. Where officers could wind down and have a few drinks after their shift. Or, in Robert's case, more than a few drinks. Which quickly becomes apparent to his friend Julie, a nurse stationed at the base with him. Julie is at the officers' club, toasting champagne with another young man when Robert interrupts. How are you, doll? Robert, where have you been lately? The goddamn rest caps have run so long, haven't been able to get away until very, very late. But I somehow always find time for triple martinis. Triples? My wages for getting through the day, you see. My God, Robert, I never knew those were triples. Paul Carter, meet Robert McCarthy. Join us. Hello. Robert's with Brigham, senior director. Which crew? The grand and glorious Bravo crew, of course. So, at last! I get to meet the bastard! Paul! I beg your pardon? The bastard! Brigham! Quite a reputation you have. Are you serious? Robert, honey, that's your nickname among the pilots. Just what in the hell? Do you know who you directly ordered to turn in the yellow tanker today? Some asshole. General Wright! Why is that old fart flying anyway? What's happened now? I was in Mustang 01. You were that idiot we couldn't get to the goddamn tanker? We were going on yellow to refuel for a run back in. What's the matter? Couldn't take your snapshots the first time? Robert! We were just coming out and you could tell the controller was getting shook. 
Nothing going right, our radios had gone out, but the tanker kept ignoring him. He kept telling Yellow to turn. He's just a kid. And all at once, this bass voice comes over the radio. Yellow to one, this is Brigham Senior Director. I order you port to zero nine or zero degrees now! Uh, uh, Roger, turning port zero nine or zero. Then, this voice of God, again. Yellow to one, you will immediately follow all directions given from Brigham or you'll hear from me! <laughs> God! It was hilarious! We knew the old bastard was on duty, all right. I don't believe I care for your sense of humor. Robert, did you really do that? It's not my fault the major prerequisite of becoming a flying jock is to have no brains whatsoever. Don't take it so personal. Besides, we feel better if you're on. You run a tight show. Tell my goddamn colonel that. Are you and Colonel Marsh at it again? Hell, we never stop. Robert, love, you're awfully drunk tonight. I know, Julie. It's the only way. Only way? Do you, sir, like the war? <laughs> what? Do you like this goddamned war? I haven't really uh, Isn't that thought. just like a goddamn jock, Julie? You sense how much they love all this crap? Please, Robert, let's not get into Look it. Look around you. Here in the club, the jocks are having a ball. They seem to enjoy putting their life on the line time after time for that magical 100. It only seems to bother the rest of us, the ones who are safe. The commies are too smart to attack you, Dorn. They know we're doing such a lousy job without their help. And all the goddamn jocks are getting all the goddamn fun out of it. Robert, lower your voice. You're going to get into another fight. Maybe it would help if we were being shot at. Perhaps that would make it enjoyable. Then we would have some sort of reason for the whole fucking mess. Things have been pretty rough over there, haven't they? All the rest caps we've been having? Yesterday was the worst. I sat down at that goddamn place at 5 a.m. to get the briefing ready and a fucking rest cap started. At 5 o'clock in the morning. Before I knew it, it was 8 o'clock last night. I hadn't eaten. I hadn't even taken a goddamn piss. I had been so involved, I completely lost 15 hours of my life. That's not a loss to me. One of my best buddies was Packard. Sorry. Let's talk of something else besides this goddamn war. I get so much of it every day. What else is there? Our entire lives are eaten up by it. My crew... Would you believe I am the oldest person on my crew, outside of the crew chief, who is older than God? And I'm supposed to take these young kids? I have Black Panthers, farm boys, young lieutenants. One lieutenant should be back in the States burning his goddamn draft card and marching off to Canada. What in the fuck is he doing on my crew? All these kids whose initiation into life is getting their first piece of ass, buying it on 20 Bot Alley, and catching the goddamn clap. Most of them are smoking dope trying to forget what goes on in that goddamn dark room. And I just hope that's all they're on. And with those of us too pure to touch dope drinking ourselves into oblivion with triple martinis. We laugh at primitive tribes. Call their rites and their circumcisions uncivilized. Jesus Christ. Our idea of puberty is to tell them Santa Claus the Easter Bunny and the goddamn Tooth Fairy don't exist and ship them off to basic training to make a man out of them. Fuck! I apologize. Perhaps I'd better go. No. Stay right there. You just pick a fight with someone else and we're handling you, okay? You're on your Irish mat again, Robert. God save us from Irishmen. Perhaps some champagne would help? It's gotta be better for you than gin. Champagne? I didn't even notice. God damn, I'm intruding. I just made major under the zone. Isn't that incredible? Congratulations. Actually, Paul pinned them on two days ago, but I was on nights and we couldn't party together until now. 
I think this is much nicer than the big wingding. Better be on my... No. Uh, no, uh... Here's some champagne. We're gonna have champagne all night. And you're gonna stay right here with us. I mean, after all, what's a party without the bastard of Brigham? After all. I knew the two of you would hit it off. And I see you did. Hey, are you upset? No, I guess not. I thought we'd catch the stripper at the Bangkok Club. Hey, have you seen the new one with the snake? <laughs> snake? Yeah, she has this boa constrictor. And God, I feel like the three musketeers. Musketeers, dear. So there you have it. The fateful meeting between the bastard of Brigham and the flying jock behind the controls of Mustang 01. Throughout the play, the action flips between different locations. The officer's club, bedrooms, the colonel's office, but it always comes back to the operations room, with its rows of radar scopes and radios. As Daryl himself puts it, the action is always pulled back. Into that crunching, ever-moving heartbeat of destruction that filled so much of our lives there. We're back in the operations room, and Robert's right-hand man. Brigham Bravo Crew Chief, Master Sergeant Clark. Sarge. Sarge is speaking to a technician on the crew. A black man from Oakland, California. Mike Cummins, airman second class. Mike got into some trouble on the base the night before. You better be praying that the captain is making his points with the colonel. Damn, that's all we needed. We're short-handed enough, and you get into a stupid fight and wind up in the stockade. But Sarge... Don't you think the captain has enough problems with having to bail you out? Yeah. I ain't seen him that mad before. Hell, he's furious. And if I were you, Cummings... I'd stay out of his way and keep my goddamn ass clean. Yeah. The action shifts, so we can hear the conversation Sarge mentions, between Robert and his superior officer, Colonel Marsh. So that's how it is, Colonel. How good of a tech is he? He's coming along. He'll be one of the best. But I can't let fighting just go by. Christ, Colonel, he's black. He grew up in East Oakland. Have you ever been to Oakland? Are you kidding? Well, I've seen it. It was a Black Panther when he arrived. Elk and Sergeant Tom have been working on him. He's doing all right. The white guys jumped him last night. Do you really believe that? I believe my crew. You're always so certain. You think no one in your almighty crew could lie to you. Anyone has trouble lying eye to eye. Oh, no. I should make an example. The Great Air Force example? For discipline! My crew needs him. If you take him out, what fucking good is that going to do? We aren't playing a game of tiddlywinks in there. But discipline is... I could care less about discipline. We've got the mission... Robert, I'm aware of your views on discipline. The way you run your crew, goddamn. So what if we blow off steam? Would you like a bunch of Section 8s? We're the best fucking crew you've got. And if it takes a few eruptions now and then, to hell with it. You give us short manning... The oldest radar in the world, scopes that won't stay up, radios that don't extend beyond your goddamn nose. And you talk of discipline? If I went with the book, your neck wouldn't last very long, Colonel. We hold you up in there. And if you take Mike away from me now, we just might not get it done. Damn it! I'll send Mike in after this morning's go, Colonel. Article 15 him. Take some of his pay, even a stripe if you have to. But no court-martial. What fucking good would it do? I'll decide that. We're shorthanded enough. They drive wild because of all the pent-up energy. Christ, Colonel. If you choose discipline over the mission, 
You may as well get into the dark room yourself and run the crew. I'll have to go on tech. As Robert and the colonel finish, the action flips back to the operations room. Robert enters, spotting Mike on the other side of the room. Mike, get your goddamn ass down here. Yes, sir. Now, listen to me very carefully. Yes, sir. After the morning's mission, you report to Colonel Marsh. I want you to sir the hell out of him and kiss ass. But like you've never done before, understand? I will, sir. If you're lucky, there won't be any court-martial. The colonel will hold off the base commander. At the least, you'll get an Article 15, and that's what I want. I want you in here working your butt off, so you won't have enough energy to fight off every goddamn white guy within two-mile radius. I'll do my best, Captain. Sarge said you might put me back on board. No. Same assignment. We need you on scope. But one more mistake and you'll never get off that goddamn board. Even a piss. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Mike. If it had been me, I would have fought too. The next scene shifts to the bedroom of Paul, the pilot behind Mustang Zero One. Paul shares his room with another guy, but the roommate isn't there. Robert is in Paul's bunk. It's hot. He's dressed only in his pants with his shirt and shoes and socks off. He's sipping a beer. Paul enters in his flight suit. (laughs) Make yourself at home, please. I did. So I see. God, is it ever hot. Worse so far. When you weren't at the club... I'd hope you would be here. Super rough day, huh? We had a blow-up on crew, Russ and me. Just didn't want to stick around the club with everyone. Bob told me. Serious? Just everyday goddamn shit. It will work out. It has to. Were you on rest cap? For a while. Who was it this time? Joe Banning and George Brownlee. Want a beer? Sure. Did we pick them up? Finally, Joe's in bad shape. Broken back, probably. The words. He came down in rough terrain. George is dead. Probably before he reached the ground. Have you got much uh, flack from today? Probably will. I'll have to check later. I don't see why. Joe was screaming his head off all the way. So was Russ. Goddamn fucking war. Paul strips down to his shorts and flight boots. There. That's much better. I think we need some music. If I could know what it takes to be your lover I am glad you're here. It's been too long. You've been so removed. Sorry. Things have not been good. And when I heard about today, I was worried about you. Afraid you wouldn't turn to me. I'm okay. I mean, the bastard has to be okay, after all. 
Hmm, boy, does that ever sound good and soothing. Brings back some memories? Some. I've always liked to dance. Do you? Yes. Some. Dance with me. Paul. Don't get that look. Chris has duty tonight. Until two. Come on. My God, Paul. Shh, come on. I've never danced with a man before. Neither have I. Leet. <laughs> Here, uh... This way we'll both lead. Don't step on my toes. <laughs> I've missed you not coming. I got scared. I'm glad you're here. Paul moves his head a little, starts a long kiss as they dance. They continue kissing and dancing. Then Julie enters, the bottle of gin. She's outside the room. She's bothered. She listens to the music for an instant. Paul? Are you there? The two men break. Robert is very nervous. He looks around quickly as if to hide. But Paul stops him, silently says no to him, and deliberately kisses him again before he goes to the door. Paul? Oh! You are here, thank God. And Robert... Sorry to barge in, but I, I need some company tonight. Those old majors and colonels can be too much. Besides, I need some help with this goddamn gin. I see you're dressed for the weather. Wish I could. Go ahead. I, you don't mind? No. Julie kicks off her shoes and strips down to her bra and panties. Even removes her socks. Whew. It's so goddamn hot. Shall I mix drinks? Would you? I'm thirsty. Is something wrong, Julie? Joe Banning didn't make it. And I need some company. It was very, very hard. He was on the table a long, long time. But let's not talk about that. We can talk about Joe tomorrow, during the daylight. Right now, I, I just want to relax. And, and Robert, it looks like you need to. You are so right. Fuck you both. I know how you feel. Why is it some people are always relaxed? Like you, Paul, goddammit. Nah, no, I'm not always calm. I just sometimes don't show it. Say, it was so quiet when I walked up, I thought maybe you'd gone and left the radio on. It's not like the two of you being quiet, for Christ's sake. What were you doing, anyway? Dancing. What? I swear, Paul, you are something else. Yes, aren't I? When are the two of you going to try to get me into bed again? I'm getting tired of waiting. Seems we both tried that before, didn't we, without much result? Same thing doesn't necessarily have to happen twice, does it? I've been wondering lately if something is wrong with me. The colonels and other old farts chase me like crazy, but guys like you... You are much too beautiful. Julie, inside and out. Come on. 
Perhaps we should chug the gin and have a three-way. Have you ever been in a three-way? Once. What? What's it like? It was pretty much of a flop, I'm afraid. I often wondered what would happen. That would depend on the threesome. And what do you suppose would happen in a threesome between us? <laughs> Isn't it amazing what you talk about when you've hardly any clothes on? Don't mind me. We won't. I'm sure. Robert, are you all right? What do you mean? You've been sort of different lately. In what way? Not sure, really. Something's changed. The two of you... That's it. That's what's been different. Well, out with it. You can beat around the bush so goddamn much. That happens to be my Libra side. Fuck your Libra side. I certainly wish you would. Come on, what's bugging you? You guys don't look at each other. At least when I'm around. And when you think I'm not watching, you sneak glances. Now, fellows, that's very strange. You're exaggerating. No, I'm not. And I need another drink, please. I believe we all do. I've been noticing you guys lately, and you are definitely acting weird. Perhaps you're the weird one. Go fuck a duck. I tried that once, not too satisfying. I'm so exhausted. That drink has hit. I'm woozy. You're naturally woozy. At least this day is behind me, thank God. You guys, you think you can pull something over on Julie? Don't be too sure about that. What are you talking about? I swear, you are drunk. Now don't you two go getting mad at me or anything just because I'm opening my trap. You are about the only real friends I've got here. You let me blow off steam like tonight when something like banning happens. And you can blow off steam to me. In this goddamn place, we need safety valves like that. And believe me, I wouldn't want anything to jeopardize our relationships in any way, shape, or form. And I really do mean that, guys. We both love you, Julie. Yes. And I love you. It's difficult to speak of love sometimes in this way. For some, it is difficult to speak of love at all. There seems to be a cloud or something invisible hanging between us, and I'm just drunk enough to... Hey, you're really bothered. Paul... Here, let me fix you another. Come on, Julie, you can tell us. You know how you get when something is working on you and you won't ask. It drives me up the wall. <laughs> well, I feel pretty silly. But I grew up in California and things were more open there. I've seen a lot of life, perhaps more than both of you put together. Now, I don't want you to get mad if I've made a mistake, but damn it, I've got to know. Shoot. Are you two involved? Yes, love, we are. Paul! There's no need to hide from Julie. God damn it. It's okay, really, I think. Robert is having more problems with it than I am. How long? Started with my promotion party. Ah, uh, yes, champagne. Are you okay? Sure. Is this the first time for you? To this extent. The others were very one-night deals, and the last ones were a long time ago for us both. What about the gals? Karen and Marge and 
Me. Things are still the same as far as I know. God, it's so hard to believe. They and you are still there, and we still love you all. Isn't life grand? With you, I guess it just wasn't the right time for us both. It. That's the story of my life. Listen, I've tried to make no judgment on this sort of thing. Really. God knows there's enough judging going on in this goddamn world. Some of my best friends from way back are gay or bi. However, I feel it's going to be a little harder this time. My God, Julie. Do we show that much? Not really. Remember, I've been around. After all, I did grow up in California. But so have other people. I guess so. You are two of the best-looking guys on base, and your reputations with the ladies. How's that for irony? Especially you, Robert. I hate reputation. Well, be thankful for the one you've got. And be careful, will you? Especially you, Paul. You're so damned honest. You know where this could lead. The discharges aren't very pretty. It isn't fair. Fair? Was life supposed to be fair? Here I fall for each of you, and when things didn't work out, I did a lot of soul-searching. You must admit it is more than a little strange. You guys making it. I think we all need more gin. Besides... Goddamn... Let's stop talking. It's all right. Really, it is. I shall always love you, no matter what. Besides, there's only one other thing I'm nosy enough to ask about. Yes? Just what in the hell do you two do? How do you do it? (laughs) We'll be back with the rest of Mustang Zero One right after this break. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey everyone, Dane here. I wanted to take a minute to remind you that this podcast is fully independent. If you like this kind of storytelling and you want to hear more, please consider supporting us by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon. Patreon supporters get tons of cool perks, but one of the coolest perks is access to extended interviews. Take Janet, for example. Over the years, I've recorded more than 10 hours of interviews with Janet, but you're only hearing a fraction of those interviews in the series. If you want to hear more from her, we'll be releasing an extended interview with her soon. I've poured so much time into this series, and I really want to be able to tell more stories like Daryl's. If you want to help me do that, join our Patreon. The link's in the show notes and at patreon.com slash resurrectionpodcast. That's one S double R. Also, just listening to the show is a form of support. We love you all and appreciate you taking the time to listen to this story. Let's get back to it. During the Vietnam War, pilots in the Air Force were allowed to end their tour of duty after they reached 100 flights over North Vietnam. For a lot of pilots, the 100 flights was seen as a badge of honor. Paul is very close to hitting his 100. But then he gets an offer from the Air Force. In this next scene, Paul and Robert 
are laying in bed together in Paul's room. I've been offered assistant wing ops if I extend. Oh my God. Quite an honor, really, being a new major. You're not staying. Haven't said yet. What do you think? I'll go home, please. There's so much going on inside me. There's the baby. Marge will need you. You belong there. It would be good for my career. Fuck your career. Just because you like this shit. I don't. You love the excitement. You like facing death. Gives you some false. And that would be why you're extending. For more chances to prove yourself. Don't put those goddamn rationalizations on it for once. Tell yourself the fucking truth. I didn't think it would upset you this way. Do you think I like things the way they are? All right. Mr. Truth. The reason I would be extending is you. Oh my god, no. I will make you come to grips with us. I will make you do it. We can't leave something like this hanging out somewhere. It would just explode someday, and then where are we? Shouldn't we decide now? Somehow, one way or the other? No. I know you're uptight about us. You're not uptight when we make love. Robert, you aren't uptight when you enter me or I enter you. You go outside yourself. You break away all those barriers that you hide behind and you relax. Don't you understand? Your soul relaxes during a time your physical being is so excited. I see it in your eyes, Robert, that that moment you cross over. If we don't explore it, we will be denying ourselves and we can't do that. Yes, we can. We weren't raised to be this way. It's against all we have been taught. We are afraid, even now. And if you stay... I am staying. Whether you want to make love or not. You'll keep flying up there, won't you? Not as much. Bullshit. You'll go every time you can. I can't stand it. I've been waiting for your 100, so I wouldn't have to face that anymore. Don't you see what it is doing to me? Would it help if you didn't know what flight I am? That would be worse. Every flight from here that squawks Mayday would be you. Paul, I don't want you to die. I'm not planning on it. But the odds are there. Hey, the odds are there every time I fly, whether it's stateside or where. But... I've been having these dreams. Dreams? It's the same one, actually. It's coming more and more, and it's trying to tell me something, and I'm afraid of what it... Hey, hey. It's okay. Talk about it. Get it out. What's the dream? What's bothering you? It's the same one. It happens so damn often now. Sometimes when you verbalize these things, they will stop. So silly. Something that upsetting is never silly. You and I are in bed, naked. We're in a bed that's in... A goddamn supermarket. What? A supermarket. We're between the frozen foods and the dairy section. And there are four cows in the dairy section. Cows? 
We are not surprised that the cows are there. The only thing you find surprising is that they never shit or piss and never go outside the store. <laughs> From being raised on a farm, I can't understand why they are only milked once a day at three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, I'm asleep, but you're not. And something starts to press down on me and starts to take over. Some force, and even though I am asleep, I'm frightened. And I call out for you to help me. You know what is going on, but you won't help. You say I'll have to do it myself. And the force gets stronger. It's overpowering me. And I start to claw my way, trying to get out of the thing. And I start climbing into space. I'm inside of a spiral corkscrew and the higher I climb the more pressure there is on me and my body is forced out of shape and the pain is horrible and I scream and cuss for you to help me but you won't help you just watch and it gets tighter and tighter until I'm trapped and I cannot move in any direction and I let out a terrible scream yes at that moment I always wake up in a real life and I have made no noise at all, and it shocks me. I feel frightened and... You cannot stay here. We cannot take the risk. Go home. Go to Marge. Go to your baby. And what will that get me? Nights of lying awake thinking of you. Of your body. Remembering your touch. Our trouble is we haven't really experienced each other. We've been hiding. Been afraid. We haven't spent more than three or four hours at a stretch together, only snatching time when we can, peering over our shoulders, afraid someone will. Robert, we have to find out, and that's what we're going to do. No, Paul. Go home, goddammit. I know you are afraid. I am too. Way down deep. But I'm more afraid of not discovering who I really am. If what I am means going against all... Well, I will do so. There are many who would be horrified at what we do to each other. There are many who couldn't look us in the eye. There are many who in the name of their religions would hate and vilify us. There are those who would be so insecure with themselves that they would kill us at the most and rant and rave and call us names at the least. Yes, our families would probably turn away and feel ashamed and disgraced. And yes, someday I may have to face my child to explain what I am. But by God, when I feel toward you like I have never felt for any other human being, when I feel like I do when you are not near, when I feel so content and full and real and good after we've made love, those other people are damn wrong. And I would not turn away from you for all the persecution in the world. <laughs> there is only one way I'll go back. You've never said you love me like I have you. 
it seems to be more difficult for you. But, my Robert, you've never said you didn't love me either. If you can look directly at me and say, you don't love me, I'll go home and we'll leave your life. That is the only way. I can't. Good. It's settled. And we're going to start doing things a little differently. What do you mean? You deserve a break. You've only had one R&R since you got here. If, if you don't get away from that dark room, you're going to go crazy. As soon as I get my 100 flights, we're going off to Bangkok. And we're going to stay in bed and order from room service. And we're going to fuck and suck our brains out and make love on the hour and every hour until it saturates our beings. We haven't even slept together one single night. <laughs> I don't know what you look like when you wake up. How you act, whether you're grumpy or sad or cheerful. You wouldn't believe. And we're going to tonight. What? Your place. You've lost your mind. Why not? You have the only bedroom downstairs. We both are up before anyone else. You have to get the briefing ready. No one ever need know and... What if they do? Well, we were out of the town. We both got so drunk and brought a whore to your place for a three-way. It's so, so very simple. And we're going to do it. I love you, Robert McCarthy. Robert and Paul spend that one beautiful night together. And they make plans, soon after, to spend a week away from the base for vacation. A week together. A week where they can be with each other without any fear of being seen or heard. A week where maybe, just maybe, Robert will be able to find the courage to say, I love you. First, Paul has just a few flights left before he hits his 100. The action flips back to the operations room. Brigham Bravo crew is on duty and Robert is in charge. Bison, 04, Mayday, coming direct in. Find out how bad. There's a Mayday squawk, could be him. Art, stand by if you have to take Greg's greens. Sure enough. Roger, Picard. Read you loud and clear. Squawk 3-1. Roger, have contact. Words? Say again. This is Brigham. Say again. I cannot Roger, read you. Roger, yellow 2-3, I understand you have contact with Bear. Turning in. Bear emergency, don't have contact. Yellow is talking to them and God gone in. Damn it. Jesus Christ, there's Maydays all over the fucking scope. Aircraft calling Brigham. Say again. Cannot read you. New radio, Sarge. New Need frequency. new radio for scope five. God damn. Try 341.9. Roger. 341.9. Roger. Red 21 cell. And all flights contact Brigham 341.9. All flights this frequency contact Brigham 341.9. Roger, now. Mustang 02. Mustang 01. Must, Mustang 01. Mustang 02 emergency coming straight in. Mustang 01 down. Mustang 01 down. No. At 015 degrees, 260 miles. Robert, I'm sorry. There's no beeper. No. The lights go down on the operations room. Slowly, the lights fade up on Paul's bedroom. Robert is inside the dimly lit room. He's sitting on the edge of Paul's bed. Julie knocks on the door. Are you in there? Robert, if you are, please answer. 
please. Robert, I know you're there. You can't be alone. Robert, I'm here. Crew's about to go crazy. Robert. Here I brought my trusty gin bottle. We need some. When I went to the club, there wasn't a single Bravo crew member there. I knew there wasn't a party planned. I knew something was wrong. The club seemed so subdued. And when I could get no information, I went to the NCO club. Can you imagine that gall? And none of your sergeants were there. I became very frightened and very bold and walked right into the airmen's club. Over in one corner, your crew has sort of a war table set up. Very secretive. I had to almost pull rank and threaten them before they would tell me what happened. They're searching the town and base looking for you. You know, Robert, th that crew loves you. They'd do anything for you. Sarge told Colonel Marsh you came down with the trots and had to go home. Go ahead, drink. Perhaps it'll help. Have you given up hope, Robert? There is no hope. Are you sure? I ran to Wing Ops. I waited to talk to Mustang Zero too. I hadn't given up hope then, Julie. Not even I. Still knew it was alright, that it was a new horrible dream that I would wake up from. Mustang Zero Two had their cameras on. And there are a series of showing. You even see the Sam coming. And in sequence, the Sam explodes and Mustang Zero One enters the fireball and comes out in pieces on the other side. About the biggest piece was the tail. Isn't that strange? Tail was almost whole. And now Mustang Zero One is lying in pieces all over North Vietnam. Should we be here in Paul's room? Why don't we go to my room? They seem to know at Ops that things were different. Between Paul and me, they didn't question. It's as if they knew something. Colonel Roberts asked if I wanted to be the summary courts officer and take care of Paul's things. Robert, can you... There are some incriminating things here. Must get rid of those, for Christ's sake. After all, we can't have perverts running around the goddamn Air Force. Please don't do this to yourself. Let... And I get to write Marge. Dear Mrs. Carter, I was your husband... You must let me help. You cannot be alone now. Why not? Robert. I am alone. And Paul is all over North Vietnam. Isn't that a laugh? Will you let me help? What's there to do? Have you cried yet? The tears will have to come sometime. Better now if you're able. It seems to help somehow. I know, I've been through it. Found that you have to go on living for the other person. I am dead. 
more than Paul. At least Paul lived. He laughed and faced things. He wasn't afraid, and I ran. From him, from me, from all, and now I'm the one who's dead, don't you see? What did my fear and shame earn me? All those nights I wouldn't because it wasn't right. It wasn't normal because I couldn't be a queer. What are the worth of those nights and those times when we would try and I would freak and back away? How oh, that must have hurt, but he never accused me. Never judged me for it. Where is my life now? What will it be? We cry for the living, not for the dead. For us who remain. The dead are all right, they have lived and it's now behind them. And they enter into. We cry for ourselves and for our hurt and we remember all those times we failed to reach out and failed to speak and failed to forgive. But the dead know that. Paul knows that, Robert. We're going to begin to step away from Mustang Zero One here, but I want you to listen carefully to the rest of this monologue. And you must cry, it'll help. You must let it out as if the world was breaking in half and a scream filled. We must cry together for ourselves because we still live and we still hurt. I have two versions of the script for Mustang Zero One. This whole episode, everything you've heard from Mustang, it's all been taken from Daryl's final version, the one written in 1991, just before he died. But I have another version of the play. It's the very first thing I ever read by Daryl. It's the script that Daryl gave to his boyfriend, Dan Wiley, in the early 80s. The script that Dan gave to me that inspired this entire podcast. And in this earlier version of the script, from the early 1980s, this monologue that you're listening to, it's not there. We cry for the living, not for the dead. I can't know for sure, but I think Daryl wrote this monologue when he knew he had HIV, when he knew he was dying. I think he wrote this monologue for Janet, for Dan, and for Jonathan, his partner who was by his side when he died, I think he wrote it for everyone he left behind. Paul at least died doing what he loved and being loved by the people around him and being content with himself and with a situation that wasn't easy. What more successful life could he have had? We cry for the living, not for the dead. For the dead are well and we are sick. Let it flow from you as if it's pouring rain and eventually, a long time from now, you will find your own peace and your own world again. One day you will look around you 
See, the flowers are blooming once again and the birds have returned and the sun looks different in the sky. You must be yourself, Robert, no matter what that is. You must listen to what Paul was teaching you. And you must live for him as we live for the dead who have gone before. We cry for the living, not for the dead. We cry for the living, not for the dead. I started this episode by asking if you've ever destroyed something in an effort to save it. If you're a queer person, like me, maybe you answer that question the same way I do. Yeah, of course I have. I destroyed a part of myself, just like Daryl did, just like Robert did, for years. I shoved it deep down inside of me. I put it in a box and I would not let it out. I destroyed that part of my identity for years, but only to protect it. And who knows how that changed me? Who knows who I would be, who any of us queer people would be if we grew up in a world that didn't require us to spend years hiding our sexualities, destroying them until it was safe to let them out. You must be yourself, Robert, no matter what that is. You must listen to what Paul was teaching you. And you must live for him as we live for the dead who have gone before. We cry for the living, not for the dead. Be yourself. Daryl pushed each of his partners to grow into their truest selves. Dan, Janet, Jonathan. (laughs) He's done it again with me. And I've done my best to thank him for that, by piecing together his life story from start to finish. But there's one more chapter to this story. Okay, take a breath. On we go. Do you remember a few episodes back when Janet mentioned she'd lost track of half the scripts Daryl wrote over his lifetime? When he died, Daryl left half of his scripts with her and half with Jonathan, his partner in Boston. Then, Jonathan died in 2017. I mean, I had no idea Jonathan was going to go and die on me. I'm sorry. You know, it was like, well, I'll get to that soon. I'll find him soon. And we'll, we'll pull together all the, all the plays. And Janet doesn't know what Jonathan did with Daryl's scripts. Once Jonathan died two years ago, I'm guessing his family just, you know, anything they didn't, didn't have, have a connection to, they would have just tossed. But I did some internet stalking and tracked down Jonathan's twin brother, who is very much still alive. I feel like I'm like on a roll. I might try to just call him today. Hey, Dane, uh, this is Jeff Houston. I have found a box of materials. Uh, it's like typewritten uh, plates. Uh, they're about uh, 25 pounds worth. Next time on Resurrection, The Missing Box. Hey, happy birthday. 28 years old Nice to meet you This is the real you Feels like a brick wall Resurrection is a team effort. If you want to help support us, 
please rate and review us if you haven't already done it. Doesn't cost a dime, really helps us out. Or you can consider becoming a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash resurrection podcast. The sound design and mixing for the radio play of Mustang Zero One was by Corey Marie Green of Transducer Audio. Corey is amazing. If you're looking for an extremely skilled sound designer, check them out at transducer-audio.com. Matthew Rogers is our sound editor and wrote all the original music you heard in the radio play. The cast of Mustang Zero One is Davide Chiesese as Robert McCarthy, Adam Capriolo as Paul, Rebecca Gibeon as Julie, Matt Laca as Sergeant Clark and Colonel Marsh, David Udon as Russ Burns, Vlad Alexis as Bob Fields and Mike Cummings, and Renee Hodgins as Art Walker. Davide Chiesese is also the voice of Daryl's letters and scripts. Of course, the original script you heard for Mustang Zero One was written by Daryl Allen. Hannah Song is our executive producer. Our outro track is called Easy to Love, written for us by Clara Jones. Matthew Cariazzameri is the platonic love of my life and my co-producer. Resurrection is researched, written, and hosted by me, Dane Stewart. The creation of this podcast was made possible thanks to the financial support of the Conseil des Arts de Montréal, the Conseil des Arts de l'Est Québec, and the Canada Council for the Arts. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.